thinking about in a group this, of this size, how many emotions, the spectrum of emotions uh, that we carry in here. Uh, some of you are celebrating and rejoicing in certain events. Some of you are grieving through certain events. And uh, others of you come in with doubts about God's goodness or doubts and a real soul, a real theological struggle about evil in the world as you see it. Some of you are just weary uh, in doing good. Um, Some of you are the, the kind of weary that sleep doesn't remove. And Jesus says, come unto him and he will give you what? He'll give you rest. Do you believe that? He also says that, in, that perfect love casts out what? Fear. And some of you still live in a, in a fear, almost an unhealthy dread that God simply wants to judge you. And you have failed to temper that with the fact that God sent His Son into the world not to condemn you, but that through Him you might have what? Life. There is great joy in that. I have been this week studying the life of Martin Luther because in our church history, adult Bible study elective at 1045, we'll be looking uh, through his life and how this really sparked the Protestant Reformation. And one of the joys is in that new believing community uh, as a result of some of those reforms. As I look at our communion table this morning, as a break away from the false teaching of what the church had practiced as the Lord's Supper, a German believer stood in plain clothes and not shrouded in huge ceremony and in the German tongue for the first time said, Take, eat, this is my body. They heard it in their own language by a man standing in plain clothes And these are some of those reforms that broke away from the abuses and the exploitation of false teaching. And folks, we have a joy this morning in Christ. I want to talk to us this morning about the Spirit's desires. Do you know the Spirit desires something? We kind of sang about it. There was this this thread through our songs this morning that we adore, that we behold God and adore Christ. Adoration in our heart. So this is this is this is not why we're gathering. We're not gathering to get a traditional experience of Christianity. And we're not gathering to get a hipster experience of Christianity. We're gathering to adore a person. And it's not you, and it's not me. We are gathering with our mind and our will and our affections to adore Jesus Christ. And I believe a large part of evangelical Christianity has lost sight of the very reason we gather. And it's to love Him. And out of that love, to love one another. And from that love, to serve the world who will then see an image of Jesus Christ rather than the image of a hollow and cold church. 
And I believe God desires to do that here in our midst as the visible and local representation of His body on the earth. The Spirit desires this. The Spirit desires for me to adore Christ this morning. He desires for you to adore Christ this morning of worship that is in spirit and truth. So I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 5 again. This will simply be a condensed overview of the last two weeks. Simply to stir our affections to worship Christ through song and text and ordinance. What a joy to do that. What a joy. Here at the first day of the week when, as someone said, our hearts are an idol factory and we set up these little idols. And what a joy on the first day of the week again to realign our affections and our attention on Jesus Christ. So the Spirit identifies these idols that we, that we raise up. And in the whole sphere, in the whole spectrum of emotions, grief and joy, and sadness and celebration, we can adore Christ. All these circumstances are designed by a loving God, a good shepherd, who desires our adoration. Well, the Holy Spirit desires something, and if He abides in you, that means you will grow and desire the same things. So what is it that you're desiring this morning? Because if the Holy Spirit is within your heart, He has desires that are at least as strong as the flesh's desires. And we're going to say since He's, since he's a member of the Trinity, we're going to say that, that He actually has stronger right desires than anything else you could possibly have. Well, He desires the glory, honor, and excellency of Jesus Christ. The Spirit desires for us to yearn for Christ, to know Him, to long for Him, to desire Him, and to reflect Him. And the Spirit desires that so much that when He's at work in your life, the natural produce is going to look like Jesus. Because that's the Spirit's desire. The Spirit's desire is for the Son to be lifted up, for the Son to be made big. And He's made big when His children image Him. And you know what that looks like. Not natural qualities, but a supernatural working that produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, Self-control. Even when people persecute. Even when people malign your name. Even when things don't go well and they don't go well for months and years. The image of Christ is reflected through you by your love, by your faithfulness, by your gentleness. Last week, we considered what God said will keep us from gratifying the desires of the flesh or fulfilling incompletion. And I want you to look again. I want to remind us of the answer. Galatians 5, verse 16. Look at your scriptures. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, and here's the answer. It's really, it's almost unbelievable because of what he says. But I say, walk by the Spirit 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, I've had several discussions this past week, and there still seems to be an unsatisfied hunger for what that looks like on Monday morning. What does that look like on Tuesday afternoon or Saturday evening? What did it look like yesterday for you to, to walk by the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh? So, I took the opportunity to ask two young people the same two questions. Their names will remain anonymous unless you ask me later. Here was the first question. What does it mean? It just, it just talk, I'm going to ask you two questions. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? And the first answer was nonverbal. There was an uncomfortable laugh, an awkward silence, and then note the inflection, to be like Christ? Okay. They're thinking. Then I asked the same, then I asked the second young person, and they said, well, kind of like be close to God, pray and read your Bible, involve Him in your life. Right? Walk in the Spirit. And there's a kernel of truth in both of those answers. So then I asked them a second question. I said, well, just tell me, what does it mean to walk? You can almost see this like relief, like, oh, I can answer the second question. I get this one. What does it mean to walk? Here's what the first young person said. To move your legs and move your body forward so you can go places. Great answer. Second young person, you mean just walking? Yes. To move your legs in a forward or backward place or pace. See, almost all of us know what it means to walk, and I believe that's why God chose this term in the Scriptures to explain something so vital to living a life that pleases Jesus Christ. Walk by the Spirit. It's a voluntary, it's a learned behavior. Babies don't come out walking. Babies don't sleepwalk. Because it's a learned behavior. Breathing is involuntary. No one had to teach you how to breathe. You came out breathing, hopefully. And you breathe. You took in breath. And when you're sleeping, you breathe. And you don't think about it. You just, you've been doing this naturally for 35 minutes. Well, a lot longer than that. But since you've gathered here and we started, you're breathing. And the only time you've given it thought is right now in an illustration. But see, walking is not like breathing. You learn to walk. Your muscles formed. Your mind developed. You pulled yourself up. You took steps. That's the term God uses here when He says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, verse 17, the next verse, provides one of the most intriguing statements or pictures in this chapter. Look at verse 17, Galatians chapter 5. For the desires of the flesh... By the way, believers still have those. He's talking to believing people at Galatia. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, the flesh sets its mind, its will, and emotions on objects, people, and experiences. Perhaps even in our 40 minutes together... Uh, your mind has already drifted off to an event or an experience that has very little to do with the adoration of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, some of your minds may have already drifted off to an event 
to where you know at that place people are not adoring Christ, they're actually sensual. That's the flesh. Or in your mind, you've already developed an argument through an interpersonal conflict and you're already having this debate in your mind, a debate that probably will never happen, but your whole spirit is given to winning this argument and putting to shame your opponent. That's the flesh. It desires things. The spirit also has desires. And a matter of fact, verse 17 seems to be saying, look at the very last part, to keep you, there's an opposition to keep you from doing the things you want to do. If the Holy Spirit is within you, do you know what you really want to do? I mean, do you know what you really want from the Holy Spirit? You want to be satisfied in Jesus Christ. You want to know the joy of a restored relationship with the Father. You want to know the peace that comes from living a life pleasing to Him. You want to know the joy of not being under condemnation anymore. That's what we want, but the flesh opposes those things. So ask yourself a question. What is it that your flesh sets its mind, will, and emotions on? What is it setting its mind on right now? Okay, so the next question then, how will you keep from gratifying that? Because the flesh, the unredeemable part of our humanity, will constantly do that. Every day, Every hour, it will oppose what the Spirit wants. So how will you keep from gratifying those things even as you sit here amidst religious architecture, right? Under a steeple, in pews, with a decorative cross. So even in a place where everything is trying to point you to God, the flesh is at work, isn't it? The flesh is also at work in pastors, in churches. This is the battle. That's the grappling that we have to deal with. So, so how do we keep from following that? Walk by the Spirit. What is it then that the Spirit desires? Let me just read to you John 16, verse 14. Jesus talked about the Spirit coming into the world. He said that it's better, He said this to the disciples, it's better for you that I go away Because if I don't go away, I cannot send to you another, a comforter, the Holy Spirit. And when He comes into the world, this is what the Spirit desires. He will glorify Me. So we will say this. Anywhere Jesus, anywhere the Holy Spirit is having His way in a local group of people, it is the things of Jesus Christ that are elevated and made big. So while our flesh glorifies and adores and longs for all kinds of created stuff and people and conditions and experiences, the Spirit desires to show us Christ. And the Spirit desires for us to be satisfied in Him. And the Spirit desires for us to glory in the cross, in the broken body and in the shed blood of our Lord. Because that's how our sins are forgiven. Look at Galatians 5.16. We're just going to quickly review three expressions. Walk by the Spirit. Voluntary, learned, your mind decides something, your muscles, your muscles tighten, they go into action, and you move. Right? You move a certain direction. So, so this, is the, this is the simple work to walk by the Spirit. The word walk is when I close in prayer and we transition from 
this time and we sing in response to this revelation and prepare to observe the Lord's Supper. And I, and I don't even really have to do this because, because my voluntary learned behavior has become so normal that I'm simply I'm going to step to this. I don't know why I always do this side, probably because I sit down there. I'm just going to step sideways and I'm going to walk downstairs. I'm not even going to think about it. I'm going to come right down here and I'm going to walk and I'm going to sit here and I'm going to turn around and I'm going to sing. And even without talking through it, I know exactly I'm going to be able to do that without even thinking to the point where at some point I'm going to be like, how did I get here? Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever been driving on a highway? And you knew exactly what exit you were supposed to get off. And all of a sudden you like came two, three exits later. Am I the only one that's ever had that experience? Thank you. I'm not the only one that's ever had that experience. Okay, it's, it's a learned behavior so crafted, it's almost like breathing now. You know how you keep from gratifying the desires of the flesh? You learn to walk by the Spirit. There's a second expression. Look at verse 18. Led of the Spirit. Led of the Spirit. Led as a shepherd leads sheep. Or as wind drives a ship. Or as a soldier leading a prisoner. It's, it's more of a passive idea. Whereas walking is, is active and learned. This being led is a, is a passive expression. So there, there's something independent of those little fluffy white animals that is kind of guiding them. He is behind them or he is in front of them. He's calling them. He's prodding them. And these little fluffy white animals kind of all go together. They should. And they move at the assistance or the guidance of a shepherd. Just like that wooden vessel. It really doesn't have any energy in itself as far as a sail, but that wind fills the sail and it carries that wooden vessel along the surface. That's exactly what this term is referring to. There's a third expression. Look at verse 25. Here, in some of your translations, as you're reading them, we'll use the term walk again. And, and even though that's an accurate rendering of the word, it fails to highlight the difference from the word walk in verse 16. These are two different words. That's why some of your translations will have keep in step with the Spirit. It's a completely different Greek words. So we walk by the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit. And now we keep in step with the Spirit. So it's almost as if there is something clearly objective, identifiable, where you can say, yeah, okay, yes. And he's leading passively. You are actively making a decision to follow. And here you're actually keeping in pace with him. He's the pace car. He is setting the agenda. Now, last week we noticed that in Ephesians 5.18, it says, don't be drunk with wine, right? Wine gets in, it influences everything about you. It influences your speech, your, your thinking, your walking. Well, don't be, don't be intoxicated like that, but be intoxicated, be under the influence of the Spirit. And you have all these consequences, right? For husbands and wives and children and fathers and masters and servants. Then you go over to Colossians 4 and you work backwards and it's the same relationships. It's the same, it's the same result with husbands and wives and children and fathers and masters and servants. But, but there's something completely different. Whereas in Ephesians 5.18, it's the Spirit. 
In Colossians 3.16, it is letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. So how do you keep in step with the Spirit? You let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. So when it says that one of the works of the flesh, one of the natural works, is sensuality, and the flesh tempts you to be sensual, you know how you keep in step with the Spirit? You choose to walk. You choose to flex your spiritual muscles and your mind and you go the direction of God's Word. And He prompts you to do that. You're tempted to gossip. And Proverbs says that, that gossip, boy, it's like sweet morsels going down, right? It's like, just like a Hershey's kiss. Or whatever your favorite, it just, it feels so good and everything is a delightful response initially. And, and so you've been warned, the Spirit has warned you through the Word. How do you keep in pace with the Spirit? Because you're tempted to do this and you're around, you're, you're, you're in, you, you think you're in a safe culture. Well, these are pretty good people and they're all, they're all talking about the same thing. But the Spirit is leading you this way. Well, when the flesh says, well, that's going to be awkward. These are all your friends. I mean, you've been talking the last three weeks about this. You're sitting there. You're simply just doing it again. So the flesh is actually going to wager resistance. How do you walk by the Spirit? And what does this look like Thursday afternoon? You walk. You get up spiritually. Start moving your legs. As the Good Shepherd leads you, you walk, you move your legs, and you keep in pace with Him because He's not around the gossip table. He's over here where it says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Do you see how the Spirit works with the Word to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ? You say, that's difficult. Walking was difficult for you at one time. And the more you do this, and the more people know you're going to walk, the less they will include you and the less decisions you will have to make. But the challenges may become more severe. That's that expression. Keep in step. Being drawn up in line with. Keep in step. Keep pace with Him. Okay, so how do we keep from gratifying the desires of the flesh? One, you make a choice to move your spiritual legs and go a specific direction. That's what walking is. Okay, what direction? The Spirit's direction as you are led by Him as a shepherd leads sheep through His words. The Spirit's words are the breathed out words of the Bible. So you simply keep in pace then with every one of them. Whether it's popular or not. Whether it's convenient or not. Whether you lose friends or not. You keep in pace with the Spirit. And if we would have done that this week, we would not have fulfilled, we would not have gratified the desires of the flesh. This isn't simply sheer self-will. This doesn't mean unbelieving people can't be kind and gentle. But we actually have one member of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit living within us to help us obey these things. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. This was the passage that Sam read for us this morning. 
And Paul here to the church at Ephesus is going to pick up this idea of walking again. And as I was working through this, I thought, well, dead men can't walk, right? Dead men can't really walk unless, unless God shows up like Jesus at Lazarus' tomb and tells Lazarus to what? Come forth. But there is a picture here where walking is used as lifestyle. I want you to look at verse 1, Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So here you have spiritually dead people walking. And they have no choice. They're just going to walk a certain course. Look at verse 2. In which you once walked following the course of this world. You just simply followed it. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. See, you walked after something, you followed something, you actually followed a spirit. Look at verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. See, the flesh has passions, we carry them out in our bodies in our minds, perhaps even while going to church and even while doing some good things. But all the while, we were by nature children of wrath. This is the same same warning Paul gives in Galatians 5 after he goes through this, this list, this catalog, not an exhaustive catalog, because he says, and things like these, but he talks about sexual immorality and sensuality. He talks about idolatry, fits of anger, He just goes through this whole list. And then he says this in Galatians 5.21, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now Paul's going to choose a different expression in Ephesians 2 when he calls them children by nature, children of wrath. The wrath of God rests upon us because we naturally walk this way. So let me say this. For someone to continually indulge in the sinful nature without any battle, without any resistance, give evidence that the Son has not redeemed them. Now, when Paul says who practice such things, he's not talking about a lapse and then a lifestyle of repentance. He's not talking about failing and struggling. He's simply talking about the person okay, that is just kind of being led as a prisoner by another spirit and is simply indulging the lusts of his flesh. That person does not have the Spirit of God in his life. But I want you to look at verse 4 because this is the Gospel. And it's this that we rejoice in as we approach the Lord's table. This is the assurance of love and acceptance. And I want you to notice the words. We're not going to rush through this, but I want you to hear the emphasis. Look at Ephesians 2, verse 4. I mean, after that dark picture, after this almost hopeless situation, but God. And we needed Him to intervene. He has to initiate this. Why? We're dead. And we're simply walking and following a certain course. 
and in His goodness and in His love and in His mercy and in His grace. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised up, He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Even when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, God, in His great love for you, saved you. It's a picture of our union with Jesus Christ. And in, in, in that union, we, were, we, are, we died with Him. The death that He died was yours. The payment for the penalty of sin was already paid for you. You are already, in a sense, risen with Him and the Holy Spirit working in your heart. The Spirit desires for you now in this life, your life, the remainder of your days is basically an expression of thanksgiving for the Gospel. And the Spirit desires for you to yearn for Christ, to know Christ, to desire Him. Romans 6, verse 20 says this, For when you were slaves of sin, just kind of create that picture in your mind. This is, this is those who by nature are children of wrath. These are those that simply produce the works of the flesh. There is no resistance. When you were slaves of sin, and that, by the way, that, that phrase explains everyone's position at some time. But when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Listen to that. When you were a slave, you were free? When you were a slave of sin, you were free. Free of what? Free of righteousness. It's an undesirable freedom. See, some lost people think they're very free. But they're by nature children of wrath. But keep reading Romans 6.21. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. See, that's the fruit of that freedom. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. And now the verse we all know, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the Gospel. You've been freed. You've been freed from an undesirable freedom when you were a slave of sin and He has freed you and now you are a slave of God, a slave of righteousness. And so the Holy Spirit works in your heart and desires something, a greater desire than that of the flesh, and it desires for us to adore Christ and to worship Him and to magnify Him and to reflect Him as we live here. Well, if you turn back with me, this is our response as we move towards the table. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. 
and those who belong to Christ Jesus. Is that you? Do you rejoice in the Gospel that we just read in Ephesians 2 and Romans 6? You belong to Him. Is the Spirit at work in your heart desiring and loving and adoring the Son? Does it rejoice in the Gospel? Or can you sin and sin and sin and sin and the loving hand of the Father never comes in to correct and you're never grieved over it? Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 24 is talking about this. An ongoing crucifixion. Letting the flesh, the body of death, hang on the cross. As John Stott says, you have been crucified with Christ. But don't pull the nails. Don't go back to the scene of the execution and long to have that body taken down. But your body of death now must be actively, decisively, uncompromisingly crucified. It must hang there as the Spirit works in you to live a life pleasing to God. See, how is that even possible? How can we crucify the flesh with its passions and desires? Look at verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And this is actually what true believers desire. The flesh keeps you from doing that which you want to do. What do we want to do? We actually truly desire to be satisfied, to have our hunger satisfied, to have our thirst quenched in Jesus Christ. We actually desire to live for someone bigger than ourselves, someone bigger than our experiences. We want to live for someone who's worthy of worship. We desire to know the joy and the peace that Christ brings. And when we experience that, we're going to be able to reconcile our relationships and show love and joy and have peace with others. We're going to be able to be gentle and faithful and sacrificially loving. The Spirit is a living person. It's not a thing. It's not a set of theological ideas. The Holy Spirit is a living person who glories in and makes big the work of Jesus Christ. That's what the Spirit is doing today. One final section from Paul to the Colossian believers. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Just the same theme in every single letter he writes. You were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Well, so what, right? No, no, that's a problem. <laughs> Verse 22, he has now reconciled. Okay, how has he done that? How has he brought this relationship back together? He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Why? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. That's what the Spirit desires. The Spirit desires more than us just getting more biblical facts this morning or us feeling good about ourselves because we went to church. The Spirit desires a true, affectionate worship in Jesus Christ. 
And one of the great gifts He has given to us, one of the two ordinances He has gifted to His church, is the remembrance of His broken body and His shed blood. And why is that so important? Because it is through that that when you are an enemy and you are hostile, He's done what? He is... He has reconciled you back in a true relationship of love and joy and peace. And the Spirit desires for that to be reflected, for you to, in a new creation, with a new heart, to live out His intention in creation, and that is good works that are reflective of your Creator who has shaped you. He desires this community to see from us the very image of Jesus Christ being lived out right here. And I hope that's true of you. So as we move now to observing the Lord's Supper together, it's it's very important we understand this is not just a mere formality. There is something very real that goes on here. The bread is bread and the juice is juice. But Jesus said this, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are proclaiming something. What are you proclaiming? His what? His death. Why? Because without it, you have no hope. We we, we are proclaiming a message of hope and forgiveness that is a free gift of grace. And if you have not yet believed, if you've not bowed the knee and confessed Jesus as Lord, if you've not accepted the free gift of God's grace because of His great love and His richness in mercy for you, receive that. Believe. That's what we're proclaiming. So the first Sunday of every month, we all get to preach to each other. That's what we're going to do. I got to preach the sermon. Now we're all going to preach the ordinance. When we lift the bread to our lips, this is what we're saying. This is Christ's body who was broken for us. Without that, there is no forgiveness of sin. And we internalize it. We are in union with Him. His death is our death. His resurrection is our resurrection. And then we will lift the cup and we will proclaim His death that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And we will preach to one another and we will internalize it And we will display our union with Christ and we will proclaim His death while we wait for His return. Jesus said, as often as you do this, you do proclaim My death until I come. 